Well, hey, it's so good to be with you today. My name is Brian, and we welcome the children who are with us here for Family Worship Sunday, and we always love that. And uh, today's topic is for young and old, uh, whether you are a first grader or whether you can't remember first grade. Today is for you, okay? We've been going through this book of Jeremiah, and uh, a few weeks ago, uh, uh, we entered into this month-long sermon focus in the book of Jeremiah, just dealing with tough issues. And the first of those really just difficult ones that deals with our heart and our pain and all of this stuff was uh, asking, uh, are you angry at God? And if you are, to know that God's love can overcome your anger. And then the, the next week was, uh, last week was, what about your doubts? Are you, do you have these doubts that feel like they're weighing in on you? And we, we learned last week that God's faithfulness can overcome your doubts. And this week, we're looking at sadness and talking about the sadness that we feel in life. And if you leave with one thing today, leave with this, God's joy can overcome your sadness. All of the things from God can help us overcome the most difficult things that we face ourselves. And so this is a a sermon that everybody needs to hear today. And uh, I want to kind of begin by just telling you a story that happened to me a long time ago when I was in the Philippines. Uh, I was there and uh, we were doing a youth ministry training um, seminar and actually a CIY conference in Manila. Uh, that we helped run. And then on the very last day, for all the people who had spent eight or nine days there working, uh, one of the leaders just took us to have like an R&R day, like a fun day, and they drove us um, to this beach. But on the way there, uh, we came through this town, and it was really crowded. There was lots of activity on the streets, and people were out and about. And we are like, man, there's just people are everywhere. And uh, it was a kind of a smaller town, and we were riding in the car, but most people in the Philippines are traveling either by foot or by bicycle or by motorcycle or by what they call jeepney, just these big jeeps that were kind of like taxis. And some of them were leftover jeeps from World War II, and they had kind of painted them and kind of made them all fancy. None of them had any windows because you wanted the breeze to come through. And most of the jeepneys are just full of people, just crammed in there, and they pay you know, not very much money, and they can ride to wherever the next stop is, and they need to get off. And so there's this jeepney in front of us with all these people crammed inside, and we were driving up here, and we looked up, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this movement. I saw these kids with buckets of water running, and they ran right up to the Jeep with all the people with no windows and threw the water into the Jeep. And then to my left, I looked, and there was a guy on a motorcycle, and he was looking nervous, and kids came from over here and with squirt guns started squirting him with water. And then we looked over here, and uh, this part of the street was throwing water balloons over to this side of the street. And then we were like, what is going on? And we saw three kids with big grins on their faces running towards our car with buckets. And we were like, quick, roll up the window. And we were trying to roll up the window as fast as we could before they got there and threw water into our car. And here's the thing. If that happened to you on your way home, you might flip out, right? You would be angry. But here, everyone was laughing. They all thought it was hilarious that they got soaked. 
And we're like, what is going on? Well, we had no clue what was happening there. I later found out that they actually have a festival there to celebrate John the Baptist because they believe Christianity kind of first got to the Philippines through somebody who saw a statue of John the Baptist and heard the story and brought it back. And I don't know all the history of that, but they have this day where they celebrate John the Baptist. And what is John the Baptist most famous for? Baptizing Jesus. Jesus did not need to be baptized, and that's why John the Baptist was a little concerned about it, nervous about it, and Jesus said, no, go ahead and do this, and Jesus gave us this beautiful example of being baptized and beginning his ministry there, and, uh, uh, you know, they figured probably in the Philippines, we can't, like, grab people and take them to the river and dunk them underwater. That's just not going to work, so we'll just We'll just celebrate the day by throwing water on each other. And they did. And it, it was just fantastic. And I'm thinking that here in America, we need some of this, don't we? We just need a day where we go around and throw water on each other and we laugh. And the Republicans throw water on the Democrats and the Democrats throw water on the Republicans. And everybody just laughs and laughs and has a great time. I think we need, we need a day like this. Don't you guys agree? Kason? Okay. It's empty. Um, but I, I actually thought about... I really did think about just asking for a volunteer, and I'm like, I'll have too many volunteers, of just seeing if somebody would throw water on their face. Because when somebody throws water on your face, what do you do? Just pretend. You close your eyes, right? You don't want to see what, what's coming. <laughs> you want to protect your eyes, and you kind of probably make a frowning face or whatever. And as I was reading through the text uh, today, if you want to be turning to Jeremiah um, chapter 30, 31, uh, I began to realize that sometimes... You're going through life, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, somebody hits you with a cup of water, and you're not laughing. It's difficult. I I was talking to a a friend I I just met this last week, and um, she said, life was going so well, and then all of a sudden, all of these tragedies just hit us in the face. Like, everything changed is what she was trying to say. It was like a cup of of ice-cold water from nowhere when everything was just going fine in life. And all of a sudden, bam, that's kind of what we call sadness sometimes. In in the musical Hamilton, there's a line talking about sadness where it's described as sometimes you're in so deep, it feels easier to just swim down. Sometimes sadness can feel like you're drowning, and sometimes it just feels like I'm just going to give up. I can't even swim to the surface anymore. And before we read a few scriptures from Jeremiah, uh, I want to just talk quickly uh, about how we read Jeremiah. Because every time we read the Bible, we're doing a little bit of interpreting of how we're supposed to read the Bible. And so it's important that we understand this. And let me just say a, a few quick thoughts about this. First of all, this is a real historical account. So things were actually happening, right? Uh, The Israelites had been taken into exile, most of them, hauled off from Jerusalem. Jeremiah was still in Jerusalem, but everything was bad. Things looked really uh, terrible for the Israelites. Jeremiah was God's prophet and giving these words of warning and sometimes encouragement. Last week we talked about this incredible promise that God said, For Jeremiah to tell them, it's the verse that many of you remember from Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, not to harm you, for you to prosper and give you a a hope and a future. And it's this beautiful promise, but we need to hang on to that promise, but we need to remember the verse before says, do you remember? After 70 years, 
then this promise is going to come. And so while we trust in God's promises, we also need to just read the whole story that God doesn't always give us what we want exactly. And beyond that, it wasn't just one story about one person. It was about all of the people, and this promise is for God's people. And so when you're in the midst of your struggles in life, uh, it's, it's good to remember there's something bigger going on here. There's a bigger promise at play here that God still cares about you and the promise is still good and we need to hang on to that. And so there's a real his, historical context, but the promises that we read in Jeremiah do reveal God's character and his desires for us and for the church. And so while we understand it was historical, that it still has relevance to us today. But that's not all. That we see these words in Jeremiah actually point us all the way to Jesus. And we see that in some of today's text. So when you're reading Jeremiah, you've got to kind of keep all of these sayings in mind. So Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he suffered so much. A lot of sadness in his life. Let me just read a couple of verses. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 12. Your wound is incurable. Your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause. No remedy for your sore. No healing for you. That's bad news, right? You're sick and you're not going to get better. Seems to be the words there. Chapter 31, verse 15 says, um, This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Does that ring a bell to anybody? That one takes us all the way to the nativity story of Jesus. So even in this passage here, it would get quoted later on. And this great sadness for a mom who's lost her child um, that we just dip into and feels like they're drowning. But Here's the crazy thing about Jeremiah. Even in these few chapters right here, we don't just read verses of sadness. We also read verses of joy. Look at chapter 30, verse 19. From them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. Rejoicing. Chapter, or chapter 31, verse 4 says, Again, you will take up your instruments and go out to dance with the joyful. Over uh, on the next page in my Bible, chapter 31, verse 13 says, Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and, and old as well. I will turn their mourning, their sadness, into gladness. I will give them comfort and, there's that word, joy, instead of sorrow. So even in these passages, we see sadness, but we see joy. So I have the question, the million-dollar question is, how do we go from sadness overwhelming us to joy overcoming our sadness? And if you could kind of imagine the cup of water being sadness, and it gets thrown in your face and thrown in your face and thrown in your face, and sometimes it feels like we're not dealing with the cup of water anymore. All of a sudden, this thing feels like a big barrel. Like picture a barrel the size of this whole stage. And it's full of water all the way up to the ceiling. And you're in it and you, you don't have a floaty on your arm. And you feel like you're sinking down. But now I also want you to imagine this cup floating in the Pacific Ocean. And you're in an airplane and you go over and you're like, what is that thing down there? It's a little tiny cup. And suddenly you realize that cup is really small. 
and he, I want to be real careful here. Your sadness is deep and understandable, and God gave us emotions. And so if you come with sadness today, I don't want to belittle that at all. It doesn't feel like a cup of water to you. It feels way bigger than that, and it is way bigger than that. But when you compare it to the joy from God, eternal joy, all of a sudden just a little perspective even though we're still swimming in sadness, even though there's all these difficulties, we see like it's a cup floating in the ocean. And it feels a little bit smaller when we understand God's enormous joy. And really what I'm saying is, don't think about just how little your sadness is, because your sadness isn't little, I know. But think about how big God's joy is. And it's way bigger than anything we can imagine. And so how do we get there? What do we do? Well, we have to understand it comes from God, and we need to see just... A few principles from this text I want to go through just real quickly, and, and everyone kind of hang with me. There's some notes there on your sermon page if you want to follow along. But God's joy leads us to several things. First of all, God's joy leads us to obedience. Obedience. When you become sad, what do you do? Pout, hit a wall, go off by yourself, throw a temper tantrum, plot your revenge. <laughs> When we become sad, usually we do stupid things, right? We don't really obey. But God says, if you understand my joy, even in the midst of the sad times, you still obey. It's during those sad times that God wants to form us and shape us. And so it's especially then that we need to obey the Lord. Anybody have like a little brother or sister or nephew or niece and they're crawling around on the floor and they're always picking up candy and trying to eat it off the floor? And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. There's like carpet fuzz all over that little red piece of candy. And that's right where the dog had the accident just an hour ago. And all these people with nasty shoes have been walking there. And you're telling this little baby, don't, don't eat that. Don't eat that. And you, you know what the baby hears? The baby hears like, I don't like you. I don't want you to have anything good in your life. <laughs> right? But if the baby only knew... We love the baby. We don't want the baby to eat that nasty stuff that's covered in gross things. We don't want that. But the baby doesn't quite understand it, and sometimes we're kind of like the babies. And God is saying, I created these laws for you. I gave you kind of this way to live, the way of Jesus. And if you follow it, it will be good. It doesn't mean that life will be perfect and there will be no sadness, but it will be good. And I love you and I'm trying to protect you and I care about your present and your future. And so follow these and God is saying, don't eat that candy off the ground. It's a little bit nasty. You may think it tastes good, but it's going to be bad for you. In fact, Jeremiah in the book, it says, uh, God says when you disobey, it's like eating sour grapes. It looks really good and then you put it in and you're like, oh. That's what happens when we disobey. You know, those who protest the most in the Bible and kind of protest against God oftentimes are the ones closest to him. You know, last time or last week we looked at how people who were sad were it was okay for them to tell God that they were sad or angry or doubting, but it was never okay for them to disobey. That's how we kind of work this out with God. So God's joy leads us to obey. Second, it leads us to know he is close. Uh, how many of you like hide-and-seek? Anybody? Anybody like hide-and-seek? I still like hide-and-seek. I'm not as good as it. I used to be. Um, but uh, have you ever played hide-and-seek, maybe when you were, you were little, and you found an awesome place to hide? And it was such an awesome place that no, people were walking right by you. 
what do most of us do after the people have looked for quite a while and nobody's found us? What do we start to do? We start to make noises. Why? Because even though we're playing hide-and-seek, we actually want to be found. By the way, those people in your life that are really frustrating and it seems like they're running away from God, I kind of think somewhere they still kind of want to be found. Don't give up on them. But sometimes when, when sadness comes, God understands our hearts still want to be found that we still need to be with God and that he comes close to us like a mom or a dad who comes and gives her kid just a big bear hug. In chapter 30, verse 11, God says, I am with you and will save you. And chapter 31 says, and you will be my people, this belonging. So last night we were driving home uh, kind of about nine o'clock or so and we went by 41st and Memorial. And we're like, oh, it's Memorial on a Saturday night. And at Burger King, there was all these fancy cars with their hoods popped up. And there's all these guys standing around, and they even have lawn chairs sitting in little circles, and they're just kind of hanging out, you know, on a Saturday night. And the kids were kind of confused about this. They're like, what are they doing? What are they? They're just hanging out there? And, and we were talking about, well, they're kind of, they're car guys. They're talking about car stuff. They're hanging out, you know, with their car buddies. And they kind of kept talking about it. And I was like, but you know the real truth of it? Don't, don't tell them I said this. They just want to belong. They want some friends. And cars are kind of the venue to hang out with some guys on a Saturday night. Now, they probably really do like cars, but the reason they brought lawn chairs is because they like hanging out with people. And every human being wants to belong. And God says, I want you to belong with me. And he gives us this great joy to let us be with people. Okay, so God's joy leads us to obey. It leads us to know he is close. And third, it leads us to accept God's justice. In the book of Jeremiah, we read about a bunch of bad people, bad kings, bad prophets, bad priests. We read about people who held slaves. Uh, We just read about all these wicked people, and God says, let me speak a little bit about justice. And we're going to talk more about this in a couple weeks, but God says, do what is right. No matter what the situation is around you, no matter how it might help you have more money or more control or more power, you do what is right. Yeah, I heard all your excuses. Now do what is right. Do what is just. Do what is good for me, for people. But even when we do that, God says, there will still be wicked people. And so you need to know that one day I will make things right, that I am a just God. It's not up to you to fix everything in the world. It doesn't mean we shouldn't speak up for the oppressed and to help the person in need. But it means to say it's ultimately not our job to make everyone do exactly what is right. We can't do it. Like some of us have tried, right? (laughs) It doesn't work. Ultimately, that's God's job, that he's going to come and do what is right. When my granddad used to tell a story that when he was little, he had brothers who had taught him how to punch effectively. He was one of nine children, and he was the second to youngest. And he had sisters who... Um, made him sit down so they could give him haircuts. What do you think those haircuts looked like? As he would describe them, sissy haircuts. They gave him girl haircuts. I saw a picture. It was hideous. And so combine those two things, and what do you have? You have my grandfather in grade school going to school, elementary school. What do you think happens? He gets made fun of for his sissy haircut. So what does he do? 
he punches people. <laughs> so my granddad, who was normally a good kid, gets sent home from school, and he just had to walk home. And his mom is like, what are you doing home? Like, I got in trouble for hitting some boys in the nose. And well, why did you do that? Because your daughters gave me a sissy haircut, mom. And she said, I'll talk about this with your father when he gets home. And I never really heard what happened other than they took him to get, like, a real haircut <laughs> at some point. Um, but sometimes you've been the, the sibling, and maybe your brother or sister has done something mean to you, and you can't really get them back, so you just say, just wait until mom or dad gets home. You'll be in trouble. You'll, you'll get what's coming to you. And we don't need to have that kind of, like, snooty, revengeful attitude, but we can just not stress out about life and just say, I know that one time, that one day my father is going to set things right. He'll punish the wicked, and he'll give to those who follow him what they deserve as well, actually beyond what they deserve because none of us deserve that. But we just know that God's going to set things right one day, so we don't have to try to do all that. Okay, God's joy also helps us receive perfect love. That's the fourth thing. And I want to pause for one second. If you are drowning in sadness today, I want to encourage you to get the help you need. No, human help is imperfect help, but it's still help, and it's really valuable. And um, it is not unusual for one of us here at the staff to recommend that somebody go and find Christian counseling. We can refer you there. It's not unusual for us to say, you need a Stephen minister to kind of hold your hand through this valley. And if Stephen ministers here at this church that have been trained with that, or, or to say, you need to find a Celebrate Recovery to kind of help you with this. And um, we try to help people with that. And so if that's you... You need to get some help that you need. Don't be ashamed. That's just smart. It's like if you have an illness and you can't fix it yourself with your own little home concoctions, go to a doctor, okay, knucklehead. And so it's, it's just being wise to get the help that we need emotionally too. But while human help is helpful, it's not perfect love because we're not perfect people. But God actually gives us perfect love. And we try to refer people to, to those who know about that perfect love. But there's this amazing passage in, in Jeremiah 31.3, and it says this. This is from God. Listen, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Wow. So that led the theologian Gerhardus Voss to say, the reason God will never start loving you is because it never began. You catch that? He, he, was re- he was reading this passage, and he said, God never started loving you because he always has loved you. It's an eternal love. You and I, we love people for a while, then we might stop, and we start and stop and start and stop or whatever. But God says, I never started loving you. I've always loved you, and that love will never end. And that makes it an eternal love. Isn't that amazing? The next time you're struggling and you have this sin that you just feel like keeps um, coming and hitting you hard, throwing water in your face, or you have this tragedy in, the, in your life that really is have you drowning in sadness, or uh, you just have uh, some doubts about yourself, I want you to remember that God loves you with an eternal love. You can't see how far back it goes because it goes farther than you can see and even understand. And you can't see how far it goes forward because it goes farther than you can even understand. An eternal love that God has for us. One of Satan's most 
destructive ploys is when bad things happen in your life for him to, for him to whisper, see, where is God now? That, that love has ended. And God says, uh-uh. There is an eternal love I have with you. And the fifth thing that God's joy gives to us, it, it helps us long for home. I know some of you just got back from a trip and many of you have traveled. And imagine being away for a long, long time and suffering while you were away. And, and you're just saying, I just, I just want to be home. I, I want to eat food from my house and sleep in my bed and, and just rest and be home for a while. And sometimes when sadness comes, it's actually a reminder to us that this is not our home. That, that right here, this life that we're seeing around us is not our eternal home. That God has something that he wants to do new and something eternal. Jeremiah says, restrain your tears. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, talking about the life to come, says, I will wipe every tear from your eye. There will be no more crying. Jeremiah says, the Lord will create a new thing on earth for you. And Revelation says, there will be a new heaven and a new earth for you. Jeremiah says, the woman will return to the man. I like that picture. The woman who has left and then comes back to a warm embrace. Revelation says that the bride has made herself ready for the groom, and the church is the bride coming to Jesus the groom. Jeremiah says, uh, in Jeremiah it says, God will make a new covenant with his people, writing his laws on their hearts. And Revelation says, they will be my people, and I will be their God. There's all these similarities between Jeremiah and Revelation. God wants to do a new thing in your life, in our lives. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. I think we probably misuse the word sometimes, and sometimes we confuse it with being happy. And the two can meld together, I guess, a lot. But if your ultimate joy comes from sports, what happens when you have a bad game? If your ultimate joy comes from family, what happens when your family lets you down? If your ultimate joy comes from riches, what happens when you lose them all or when you die? (laughs) See, all these things can disappoint and all of those things can be happy things as long as we keep them under the umbrella of God's joy. That God says, I give you a joy that is better than anything else that you can find, that you can make up on your own, that you can achieve on your own. I give you a joy that people won't even understand. There was a, a church leader from the church of Carthage, not Missouri, another one. His name was Cyprian. And it's all the way back to the third century. And he had this quote where he was seeing what it was like to be a Christian in a place where there were lots of things stacked against them. And he said this, It's an incredibly bad world, but I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and good people who have learned the great secret of life. They have found a joy and wisdom which is a thousand times better than any of the pleasures of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted but they care not. They're masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. He saw these people who, for all that had happened to them, seemed like they should be sad, and yet they had a joy that God had given to them because they'd given their their lives to Jesus. One day there will be a reversal 
in suffering, a reversal in sadness. You see, sometimes we feel like we're drowning and the waves are beating us and we're, and we're trying to like swim our way out of it. Understand that Jesus walked right into it willingly so that your sadness could become his sadness. Your suffering could become his suffering. Your sin, he would take on as his sin and pay the price for it. Jesus is the ultimate Jeremiah, the ultimate prophet. Because while Jeremiah suffered, and unrightly so, he wasn't innocent. And Jesus was truly, purely, 100% innocent. And he, and he suffered. Jeremiah was abandoned and persecuted, made fun of, mocked. Jesus knew it was coming. And he said, Father, if there's any way... Take this cup, this cup of suffering, this cup of sadness. Take this cup away from me. Don't make me drink it. I know what's coming. The Father said, it's the way, the only way for you to pay for the sins of the people. And so Jesus took the cup of suffering. He drank it. He dove in to the sadness that you deserved and that I deserved. And he did that so that one day, we wouldn't have to just experience the sadness on our own. And you don't have to experience the sadness on your own right now. God's joy, I believe this with all my heart, can overcome your sadness.